This is Cut to the Chase with Dave Emanuel. I'm speaking with Trent Lind, who is CEO of Eastside Medical Center in Snellville, Georgia. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, happy to be here. The role of hospitals in providing care and treatment has changed pretty significantly in recent years. What are the latest challenges, and how are hospitals in general, and Eastside in particular, meeting them? Absolutely. Uh, well, I appreciate the question, and certainly uh, healthcare uh, in Gwinnett County has evolved over time. Uh, it's pretty amazing for me to be here just under a year now, and uh, having uh, learned so much about the county and the history of Gwinnett County, and, and, and just the fact that even members on our medical staff today who were the original uh, members in their various specialties of, of service, and, and so to see where it's come from, from really the, the, the what was once considered the wild west of Gwinnett uh, from a healthcare perspective to today, where you have really just a, 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 two, a, a two health system county of uh, two tremendous uh, uh, hospital systems that provide really soup to nuts, the highest level of care um, that uh, a community could really want and desire, uh, and not having the need for patients, uh, our community members, our families here in this community to have to, to drive into the perimeter to receive care. It's really just a I think a, a real, real uh, a blessing for this community. You know how how Eastside has uh, <clears throat> kind of faced challenges that healthcare sees today, and certainly um, there's a variety of challenges we face uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, you, you see the evolution of our hospital in particular, where we were at one time uh, 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 the hospital on the hill. Um, uh, I think you know uh, known as really the first true tertiary center here in Gwinnett County, and uh, how we've evolved and uh, have a secondary. Uh, new main campus uh, here in Snellville, and uh, just serving our patients in such a different way where we've been able to subspecialize uh, our services where uh, if it's orthopedics, we're able to subspecialize into physicians who just pr- focus and practice uh, foot and ankle services or, or hand services, um, really being able to subspecialize to the needs of the patients in a different way. Uh, you know, we, we also have really been focused on um, you know, how do we uh, really, I think, expand our, our ability for patients to access our system uh, in a different way? And, you know, as, as healthcare evolves in the country, uh, you know, one kind of, uh, you know, prime example, uh, I joke around and call it the Burger King model. And in, in healthcare, <clears throat> patients want, want it their, their way right away, which uh, for Americans, they, they deserve that. And, um, and so we're trying, to, we're trying to do that in a different way. And so, you know, one example of that is urgent care. We're excited that we're going to be rolling out an urgent care network here at the beginning of 2017. So first quarter, we're going to come out with three new sites, uh, one being up on Sugarloaf Parkway, the corner of uh, Sugarloaf Park- Parkway and Five Forks Trigum. Uh, we'll have a site out on uh, uh, in Lilburn and then a site down in uh, Centerville. And really for us, it's to have uh, a different level of uh, ability for patients to access uh, our system uh, in a different way. We're also in the midst of uh, reconstituting our ER at South Campus, which is our, our the hospital on the hill, the original hospital. And so we'll be uh, reconstituting that ER and having a full service uh, brand new ER at that location because I think everybody knows how difficult uh, Highway 124 can be. And I hear it's even worse when it comes to uh, the holidays. So um, we'll, we'll have another access point there. And then also just from a from a imaging uh, services perspective, so those kind of radiology services from CT to MR to ultrasound to MAMO, uh, to DEXA bone scanning. Um, we have uh, now a center that's out in Loganville. It's a full-service imaging center. We're actually going to be adding another center uh, in, in, uh, off of Highway 78 right there at the corner of Highway 78 and, and Killian Hill. If everybody knows a Red Lobster there right behind 
Uh, the Red Lobster will have a new center there as well. Uh, and it's just really for us, these are ways that we can, we can uh, access our patients in a different way, but also patients have more convenient and closer care to their direct community. Now, hospitals across the country seem to be facing a lot of similar concerns. And one of the most common issues, one you hear the most complaints about, are extremely long wait times yep. for emergency rooms. Mm -hmm. Do you see any common causes for the long wait times, and what are your proposed cures for that? Yeah, it's, it's, this is obviously a challenge across the country. Um, you know, we, uh, like m many hospitals across the country, uh, view our ER as our front door. Uh, majority of our admissions are uh, coming through our emergency room. And so we want to make sure that we create the, uh, the, the, the most smooth transition through our, through our ER if a patient's going to be admitted, or if it's a lower acute patient that just really has uh, uh, you know, a, a less uh, urgent need to be taken care of, that we can uh, uh, do that in an expeditious manner. And so we're, 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 we are facing uh, same challenges that other uh, hospitals are across the country when it comes to, and I've had to kind of point towards, you know, what are the two things that are driving uh, ER wait times and the challenges around uh, really the, the the population demand in our ERs? It really is one. It's the it's the demand that's out there. So it's uh, it it is uh, ever increasing demand on our ERs with the number of patients um, that uh, that are coming through the ER to access care. But then two, I think the bigger the the other big driver there is uh, really the acuity of the patients that are coming through the ER. A uh, year to date for us, for example, we're seeing a lesser uh, low acute uh, uh, patient. So when we kind of uh, designate our patients, we designate them, designate them on a one through five scale and really one being the most acute, five being the least acute. And so we, uh, we have seen a decline in some of those lower acute patients because they do have other access points and opportunities to, to receive care. They can go to an urgent care center and if it's a, it's a scrape that needs to be addressed or it's a, uh, maybe a, a broken bone, they, those, those centers can uh, provide that care. Uh, but if it is a more acute, which we're seeing a much a higher number of acute patients uh, that are coming and accessing our ERs, uh, we're, you know, we're obviously uh, 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 needing to deal with them in a different manner. And so we've got different tracks in our ER. Uh, we've got a fast track model for our lower acute patients that uh, we really do focus and isolate on those patients to make sure that they're seen. Our goal is to have those patients seen from an arrival to greet perspective within 10 minutes. And we're right now at eight minutes uh, for the, the past month. Um, and so they're seen and they're seen... Uh, uh, by a provider in our ER in that time frame, and then we determine and triage where they need to go. Are they are they an acute patient that needs to go directly to the back, uh, uh, to a trauma room or to one of the the, the more acute uh, settings, or is it a patient that we uh, that we see as less acute and we can get them through our fast track in an in, in expedited manner? And so that's really a, I think a model that a lot of our what would be considered in the technical terms a split flow model that a lot of our uh, hospitals across the country are, are, are utilizing. And we've, I think, got a really streamlined process. But at the end of the day, you're going to have uh, times when there's an influx of patients and it does result in wait times. And, you know, that's, that's, that is the nature of the ER. And if you had it perfect, you'd, you'd, have, you'd, you'd make it so that there was X amount of patients coming through the ER on an hourly basis. But unfortunately, it's, 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 it's an area that uh, can't be controlled uh, in that manner. Well, when we see hospital programs on television, there's never a wait time. <laughs> That's right. What do you think is realistic, based on your experience, that with a high population area, you're going to have a population density that's going to require them? Is, is five minutes about as low as you would think you could get in a high residential area? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, national averages, and I haven't looked at this uh, recently, but, you know, certainly um, uh, we are below that national average. I mean, to, to, to be at a 10-minute or less 
arrival to greet, which would mean that you're greeted by a provider in that time frame, um, that you're evaluated and triaged and determined where your care needs to be. Um, that's 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 probably the appropriate time. I think where it, it becomes uh, for all hospitals more challenging is um, if you are uh, 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 you know uh, seen in that time frame, uh, and, you know which which again we're at an eight minute uh, kind of arrival to greet time frame. Um, you know, then, then from there, you know, to get to the right track and, uh, and make sure that, uh, uh, that we're, we're expediting your care as quickly as we can, but at the same time, knowing if you have a more acute, uh, situation going on, that there's going to be a lot of studies and tests and things that need to happen in our setting, uh, to assure that, uh, that we are ruling out everything and getting you, uh, appropriately cared for. And so those things, you know, will take time. So the overall length of stay, which we're also you know, consistently focused on. Uh, it's certainly a, an aspect as well that that uh, that can be driven by a lot of different factors. Now we can't talk about health care without talking about the Affordable Care Act. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to reduce the number of uninsured people seeking treatment. A lot of those people come in through the ER mm-hmm. and then can't pay for the services, but they know if they come through the ER, you have to provide them. Have you seen any significant change in the number of ER patients that you're seeing? Who can't pay for services who are coming specifically to get free service? Oh, that's a good question. <clears throat> At the end of the day, I mean, I think that uh, I think that uh, everybody could agree that to be able to um, fulfill the goal that that uh, the Affordable Care Act had to try to fill the gap and provide insurance coverage for uh, patients that that could not access. And a lot of these folks, at the end of the day, were folks that were hardworking Americans that just their whether their employer didn't offer health insurance or they just didn't have the exact means to purchase insurance on their own, um, you know, I think that the overall intent was there. But at the end of the day, though, um, what has evolved is that, yes, we are seeing our self-pay uh, patients uh, arise. And I think that that's because um, what you're seeing is that there, there's a lot of patients that are opting out. And um, and what the true patient experience is with a lot of these plans is that the burden is still being pushed down to the patient. So these are high deductible uh, and what we call HICS plans. So these are health Exchange plans that are part of the Affordable Care Act, and as patients access those, they, uh, the, you know, certainly the, there's high deductibles, high copays, and so it's not until a patient meets that, you know, eight thousand, ten thousand uh, dollar deductible that they're going to be able to actually uh, receive care at an affordable rate, and so it ends up um, those those dollars end up getting pushed down to the patient. A lot of times they get pushed back down to the hospital because the patient can't afford. Uh, to, to pay that level of a deductible or a copay or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So, you know, I think, I think at the end of the day, um, overall intent uh, was was the right intent to try to help to cover that gap. But the reality of the matter and what we're seeing is, um, you know, still uh, still these patients are coming through our ERs and different avenues um, and, and not able to, 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 to be able to, to over, really, you know, uh, receive the, the – the 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 you know benefits that they thought they maybe once had with these plans okay now whether it's the cost of insurance premiums or the expense of treatment health care costs have become extremely expensive Mm -hmm. and they seem to have far outstripped inflation or any other metric by which you measure things what do you see as the primary causes of what a lot of people think are not just high costs but outrageously high costs and and let's dial out of the equation something like the EpiPen, mm-hmm. which is, is a whole yeah. different subject. But just in general, uh, regardless of what treatment you need or what medication you need, if sure. it's not a generic, 
prices have pretty much gone through the roof. Is there a legitimate driver for that, or is that just all positioning because nobody knows what's coming next on the health care scenario? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, that's, that's a tough question. I mean, in, in, at the end of the day, when you look at uh, health care as a percentage of our GDP, it's uh, as high as it's ever been. It's, it's higher than uh, other countries out there. Um, uh, and, you know, really at the end of the day, I mean, I think there's some drivers, and I think that, uh, you know, when I look at uh, when we try to compare ourselves, and especially as we went down the path of the Affordable Care Act, and we try to compare ourselves to uh, Sweden, who uh, is uh, obviously a model of uh, uh, kind of a, a social model that uh, uh, is, is uh, uh, you know, really dictated by, uh, you know, a higher tax model, but that supports uh, health care in a different way. Um, it's hard to compare us to a blonde hair, blue eyes, Sweden, when, you know, we've got a very diverse population. You know, U.S. Uh, is the highest uh, number of research and development programs that are going on there, uh, you know, out, uh, compared to any other countries. And we really are on the cutting edge of healthcare. And I think by being on the cutting edge of healthcare, that certainly drives, uh, drives costs in a different way. Uh, you know, and so certainly finding other avenues where we can provide more affordable care to our patients is, is the goal. Um, but uh, but right now, you know, our model that uh, exists obviously is not achieving that. Well, since you mentioned Sweden, there are other countries like Canada and the United Kingdom where healthcare is pretty much government controlled uh-huh. and it's universal socialized medicine, if you will. And a lot of studies have been done citing the cost of a procedure or medication in the UK or in Canada compared to the U.S., and there's a pretty significant difference in cost. Mm -hmm. The question becomes, are we really doing an apples-to-apples comparison, or are we talking about extremely long wait times to see a doctor, uh, sub-quality care because Mm -hmm. what you get is what you get, and from what I understand, there are lots of alternative choices that become available in those countries for people who can afford them because... The socialized medicine isn't providing the level of care and the quality of care that they want. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a really good question. I actually, there's a uh, example of, that I I share a lot with uh, folks when they ask this question. Um, I remember standing in line at the Vatican to go uh, look at the museum. I was with my wife, and we were in a conversation with a Scottish couple, and uh, which they were part of the the UK system, obviously. And uh, she was so excited. This individual we were talking to, and the fact that she could actually go to London because her wait times for her, uh, I think she had a, 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 a gallbladder that had to be removed, and she was so excited in the fact that she actually would be able to access one of the private hospitals uh, that was in London uh, because she was on a, a six-plus-month uh, wait time list. And so at the end of the day, that's just an example of, and there's a lot of examples of folks that cross the borders to receive care here, whether from Canada or other countries, uh, because uh, whether, A, the quality of the care is better or perceived better in a lot of ways, uh, or, or B, that the uh, time frame to access that care was so delayed. So again, it goes back to kind of that Burger King model. And so, you know, I think uh, deservedly so, uh, you know, our country, we want, we want things our way right away. And we, and we have an expectation uh, and there's some amount of an entitlement uh, around uh, healthcare for us. And so, you know, uh, I think that, you know, as this evolves, um, I've seen a lot, of, you know, again, it goes back to the London model. You've got private hospitals that provide care um, uh, as an alternative to the public system. And I think if things evolve here and we move towards a more public social model, um, I would imagine that there will be other 
other alternatives for patients that are willing to pay uh, maybe a little bit additional out of pocket to access a private uh, institution? Well, it would seem that way because it seems that what we've got in these quote, model countries of universal health care is analogous to our VA program, where Correct. healthcare is wonderful if you live long enough to get it. Yeah. And and it would seem that, again, that becomes the model for universal health care, is that you don't have any other choice and you wait in line and whatever your number is assigned is what you have to take. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think a lot of us are big believers in kind of the free enterprise market where... Uh, we can compete on quality, we can compete on service, we can compete on uh, the environment uh, uh, and the technology that we are able to support uh, for our patients. And so at the end of the day, I do feel like uh, that that uh, move towards a universal health system model starts to limit, limit some of that ability to compete to provide that higher level of service for our patients. One of the developments, I think, that has put the United States at what I consider the forefront of health care is the technological improvements that have come over the years. And technology typically has a tradition of expanding capabilities and mm-hmm. lowering costs. And mm-hmm. We have computers now that people essentially buy, and if they break, they throw them away because you can buy a new one cheap enough where 20 years ago that would have been a multi-thousand-dollar investment. Sure. <clears throat> There's no question the tools available currently have enabled physicians to do a much better job because they have better tools at their access. Mm-hmm. But there doesn't seem to have been any reduction in cost. Now, is that a fair statement, or are we looking at a situation where the technology has given us so much more insight that we get into other areas of treatment that we might not have before? Well, no, gr- a great question, and uh, I think it's... Uh probably the answer is twofold and the fact that uh, it's a yes and yes answer to that you know uh, because when I when I look at it uh, I do feel like uh, from one end uh, there is some amount of uh, keeping up with the Joneses uh, just from a pure healthcare perspective and trying to offer the best uh, best technology uh, at any given time and so I think there is uh, there is somewhat of a desire from a from a technology perspective to have that uh, best available technology for our patients, for our community, for our physicians. Um, and you know, it, but I will use one example here at Eastside uh, that uh, we've been able to offer technology, and this is our, our 3D mammography. Uh, we put this service in place uh, about a year ago, and it has uh, really enabled us in a different way to care for patients. And so the 3D mammography services that we offer uh, are able to detect breast cancers that at a rate of 33 plus percent better than the traditional mammography services. So what we're seeing in turn is, one, we have a higher detection uh, uh, rate uh, of cancers that maybe would have been unnoticed uh, historically. Uh, And so in turn, being able to go into doing a biopsy on that patient, if surgical intervention is necessary, we go through that process with them. And at the end of the day, we're saving lives that maybe we wouldn't have saved before. And so um, so I think that you use that as just one example of a technology that's helping to advance care. It's a, it's a prime example and, and one that uh, I think that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I would want my wife to be able to have that access to that technology um, if it, that would uh, eventually potentially save her life. And so I think that, you know, not losing sight of really what, um, technology can do um, if if making the right business decisions around as a hospital system 
accessing or purchasing that technology. I think you got to look at all sides of the equation and does it make sense and are those quality outcome potentials there that it makes sense for us to invest in a technology because there's lots of technologies that we decide not to invest in because we don't see the potential uh, outcome benefits that the, sure. that our 3D mammography services, for example, would bring. Now, the majority of people see Obamacare, the ACA, as a colossal failure. Uh, what is your opinion from the provider standpoint, and what do you see as the best health insurance options on an across-the-board basis? Where, how do we get out of the problem we're in now? From your standpoint. Sure, I'll try not to get on my soapbox, but I'll get on it for <laughs> oh, a second. Oh, get on it. Get on it. That's why we're here. <laughs> so I look back to uh, when the Affordable Care Act uh, came about. And again, I think I've stated previously that uh, the overall concept of covering the gap and providing coverage for patients that uh, were hardworking Americans that either A, couldn't afford health insurance or their or B, their employer didn't provide it and and. and those, those kind of scenarios, I was all for making sure we covered the gap. However, patients weren't being turned away. So there's never a point in time, uh, and through our ER, MTALA tells us that. It's a, it's a federal regulation. We follow it to the T. Patients are never turned away. If they enter our ERs, and this was before Obamacare, and this is after Obamacare, if they enter our doors uh, and access our system, we are going to treat them the same as if, you know, you walked through, Dave, and you had uh, a, 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 the best potential plan in place. We're going to treat you the same if it's uh, necessary that we admit you, uh, provide surgical intervention. If we have the capabilities to do that at our organization and provide that level of care, uh, we're going to do that. And so, and if we can't offer that level of service, we're going to get you to the right location and make sure that you get that service. And so, that that was always there. And so, uh, it was always my argument that, uh, that, the, that the safety net was there for our patients. Uh, really, the safety net's still there. Uh, things haven't changed. Uh, I feel like the dollars maybe have shifted a little bit. Uh, to some extent, it's put the burden back on the patient. Uh, but like I said before, at the end of the day, uh, we've seen our self-pay rate go up. And a big reason for that is uh, the burden's been put back on the patient. But the patient still is in the same situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still can't afford uh, to cover a, a deductible that is $10,000. Uh, and and so, and, and again, I think that... Uh, the intent was good. Uh, I was all for that, but just the approach and where we're heading and the failure of a lot of these healthcare exchanges. Uh, we, we've already seen in Georgia and across a lot of the different states, uh, Evans, uh, Aetna Coventry is one example. Uh, they've already folded their, uh, their exchange, uh, so it's not uh, available to folks anymore. Uh, so those are just examples of where uh, these, some of these big insurers can't provide. You know, I'd say at the end of the day, what's the best option for, for um uh, our patients, well, it, it, you know, it, it's tough because um, if they can't access it through their employer, which I think at the end of the day, uh, that's probably the best option, and uh, and and they they don't aren't covered under Medicaid uh, for for the lower income folks um, that are in our community. Well, then at the end of the day, um, you know, the, really the only option they're going to have is to to look to the exchange, uh, hope that they don't have anything catastrophic. And hope that they can help, uh, you know, not have the out-of-pocket uh, impact that that potentially is out there. You know, and then one other statement, I guess, you know, when you look at just overall um, where we're heading now with Obamacare, you know, one thing that's really interesting is the Cadillac tax. And I don't know how much you know about the Cadillac tax, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, at the end of the day, for our a lot of the big employers that are out there, they're trying to offer patients and their employees 
who are future patients, when they're trying to offer those folks uh, the best possible health care, well, there's a tax out there for the higher end, right. <laughs> for the higher end insurance plan, so people really understand. There's a bigger tax on corporations for that higher end plan that they want to offer to their employees. Mm-hmm. So when the employers are trying to do better to serve their employees, they're going to be hit with taxes. Uh, they really, at the end of the day, what's going to probably happen, I would imagine, especially so maybe for some of these mid-level employers that just really can't take on that that uh, tax burden of that Cadillac tax, and the, and and then not to mention the 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 burden of them trying to offer a better plan to their employees and taking that cost burden. It's going to drive them to maybe offer up dollars to employees that can go out and access their own health care exchange plan, which is going to drive the cost right back down to the to mm-hmm. the uh, to the patient <laughs> and to their employees. So it's just it's it's to me it's it's not uh, it's not a solution that really makes a lot of sense because it's it really was a move of just shifting dollars and having this illusion, if you will, uh, that uh, we've covered more lives. Yes. Now, one of the things you see when you drive up to Eastside Medical Center is a helicopter sitting out front. Absolutely. And, and that stays pretty active. How does that service interface with the hospital? Because obviously they're transporting throughout the county, I would assume, and throughout the region. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, that service uh, uh, now has been here, I, th- I want to say, uh, about three years' time, uh, approximately maybe maybe three to five years' time. And, uh, and so they are here uh, to support uh, our patients that are either needing to be transported out or patients that would be transported in. And, uh, and so, they, they, you know, obviously the, the one and uh, only real true dedicated life flight service that's here within Gwinnett County that uh, serves this area. And, you know, for us, uh, it's a real uh, benefit to have that, that support here because a lot of times just the, the broadness of our county um, certainly, uh, and, and also not to mention the traffic challenges at times, <laughs> um, to have uh, access uh, to to this service is, is certainly a, a major benefit for us. Uh, and then just not to mention, if we do end up with a patient that uh, has a condition uh, that is very, uh, very acute and beyond the ability or scope that we have, which is really a limited number of times, but there are times where we'll have uh, a need that intervention that we don't have that uh, sub sub specialty to serve that patient they've got quick and easy access into some of the major quaternary care centers there in the middle of uh, the heart of Atlanta okay well thank you very much I think we've covered some some good ground and gotten a lot of good information appreciate your time well thanks thanks for having me